time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Welcome to another edition of Reengineering Your Finances. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Weldy, founder of CP Weldy Group, serving you throughout Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. We talk all the time here about making sure that you've got a great financial plan in place and also making sure that you're not afraid to ask questions when it comes to your financial life. And today's episode is going to be a special one. We call it the mailbag edition of the program where we answer questions from listeners like you. And if you would like to submit questions to be featured on the show, go to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. And you can submit your questions there on the website. Charles, you ready to answer some questions from some listeners today? I hope so, Walter. <laughs> I know that you are well-equipped to help folks with all different types of issues, and we've got a good smattering of topics to cover on today's show. Maybe you listening to the show today, maybe one of these questions you'll be able to identify with and might find helpful. So tune on in. First question is going to come to us from Jeff. Jeff has a short question. says, I want to retire in five years when I turn 55. Is that a bad idea to retire that early? Well, the concern I might have with that is, gee, you know, what's life expectancy for a male today? And realistically, you know, the median age that someone will pass away once they reach age 65 is 87. So we're looking at maybe a 30-year retirement for Jeff. I don't have a problem with it if he has a pension or some guaranteed income. But the reality of it is, if you have to create a rising income to cover 30 years of rising expenses, it's quite a challenge regardless of how much money you have. So I would ask Jeff, I'd say, hey, Jeff, you know, do you really hate your job? You know, are you going to be working part time? What are you going to be doing with all the time that you have on your hands? And I would be more concerned, not just about the financial aspect of it, but like, what is he going to do with all that time on their hands? Because what I'm seeing in my practice, not necessarily my clients per se, but what I'm hearing in the industry is that there's a different type of risk when people retire early. And that's, you know, the risk of being depressed. A lot of people find their identity mm -hmm. in their work. And when yeah. they cease to work, and they retire and they don't have anything you know on the horizon what they want to retire to they end up you know with uh, some form of depression and you know obviously you know that's not something that you know we're all looking forward to yeah, and I think that just really brings up just one of the uh, reasons why retiring early can be a challenge for folks. I know I worry about my mom. Now, she's not retiring early, but when she retires in a couple of years, I mean, she's just – I mean, I think she wears the badge of workaholic you know, relatively proudly. She loves the fact that she's got an amazing work ethic and works harder than anybody else around her. I mean, that's just part of her identity, but that's the problem is – What's she going to do when you retire? Do you have that plan in place? And I know that's something she's thinking about heavily, but there's also financial concerns when you retire that early. Even if you've got plenty of money, you've got a lot of uh, limitations in place, right, Charles? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh, that's just another th layer to the equation to be thinking about there. So I guess ultimately it's not a bad idea for Jeff to retire at 55, but it is if you don't have a, a really good plan in place, both financially and I guess emotionally. Is that the way to say that? Absolutely. Absolutely, Walter. Cool, Jeff. Great question. Thank you for that one. Uh, we've got another one here from Robert. Robert says, what's your opinion of investing in foreign currencies? Well, this is going to be a short and sweet answer for Robert. I would say this, if, don't invest in anything you don't understand. And I know myself, I don't un understand foreign currencies, have no interest in understanding them. And now and then we get questions from clients and prospects. Charles, what do you think about investing in gold? And my answer is pretty much the same. Hey, you can make a killing or you can get killed. But the bottom line is you got to understand what you're investing in. So when someone comes to me and says, hey, Charles, I'm considering investing in foreign currencies. 
believe me, it's out of my pay scale. I'm looking in, in another direction. Wasn't it just a couple of years ago? It was the Iraqi dinar was supposed to be the next great investment back when the overthrow of the Iraqi government happened and we were establishing, you know, presence there it was going to be the Iraqi dinar is going to take off now that we've got all this structure and people who invested in that, I think, got pretty burned. So these things come around every once in a while. They, they sure do, Walter. And you know what? Unless you understand it fully, stay away from it. It just doesn't follow the model of proper retirement planning guidance and an overall financial plan. If if you've got some money that you would uh, otherwise take to the casino, uh, then sure. You know, if you want to dabble in foreign currencies a little bit and take some of those risks, that's great. But don't do it with your overall financial plan, the money that you need for retirement. That's where the trouble comes, Robert, when people start doing that with things like foreign currencies, for sure. Harriet's got a question for us here on the mailbag. Harriet says, my aunt died and left me a rental property that I wasn't expecting. I've never been that interested in owning real estate like this, but I don't want to just sell it because she clearly wanted me to have it. What do you think I should do? Well, one of the benefits of inheriting real estate is no matter what you know someone paid for, in this case, Harriet's aunt, Harriet can get it at a what they call a step up in basis. So if her aunt paid 300000 for the property and today it's worth 500000 well, Harriet's basis is $500,000. So what she could do is sell it tomorrow and have no income tax on that real estate property. Now, what I would do as her advisor, I would look at it. Hey, what's the rent coming in? What's the expenses that you know she needs to make in order to keep it going? And I would look at her rate of return on that particular investment. And then I would compare with some other type of investment. And then basically, you know, if it was a good rate of return, I might you know uh, encourage her to keep it or hold on to it. If she thought it was going to appreciate further, you know, in value in the future, I would encourage her to hold on to it. But if the rate of return was something like 3% or less, and a lot of cases, that's what's happening in real estate because it's not appreciating as it once was, then I might want to show her some alternative investments that she feels comfortable with. And, you know, hey, God bless her aunt. But the reality of it is, is her aunt's gone and she's given her this potential inheritance. And now it's up to Harriet to make the decision that fits her particular needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making some assumptions, it sounds like, Harriet, that aren't necessarily clear, even though you say they clearly wanted you to have it, but doesn't mean she clearly wanted you to keep it and become a landlord. So just be careful with all of the uh, assumptions that go into that, because that may not actually be the intention. So it sounds like a blessing, Charles, for Harriet in this situation. I mean, not that her you know, aunt died and passed away, of course, but just that the blessing to receive property this way. And, you know, you've got some options for what you can now do and choose to do to kind of honor her, but also make the best decisions for you, Harriet. So... Yeah, I would just say chances. keep your options open. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't pigeonhole yourself into something and make all these assumptions. It sounds like the only thing clear is that she wanted you to have it, but not necessarily keep it or you know any further direction with what to do with it there. Let's skip to Arnold's question here. Arnold says, a financial advisor once told me to consider doing a stretch IRA, but I heard something a few weeks ago that said new decisions from Congress might end this option. Can you shed any light on that strategy and if it's going to be around anymore? Yeah, so what currently is in law with the stretch IRA is that when you pass away, whoever your beneficiaries are, they're entitled to, quote, stretch that IRA over their remaining life expectancy. So if someone had a large IRA and you know they had two or three kids, each child, based upon their age, could stretch their particular portion of that IRA over their lifetime. What's happening now because of our budget deficit, and I've actually read it not too long ago, is that the IRS or the government is proposing 
that if you pass away with an IRA and the beneficiary is not your spouse, it's someone other than your spouse, they're going to require you to clean that IRA out over a 10 year period. So think about it. You know, someone has a large IRA, they pass away, they don't have a spouse, the spouse may be predeceased them or they were never married. It goes to non-spouse beneficiaries. Over 10 years, these non-spouse beneficiaries have to, you know, take uh, X amount of dollars out of the IRA and clean it out sooner rather than later. And generally speaking, a lot of these beneficiaries will still be working and this additional income is going to be on their tax return, creating maybe a higher potential tax bracket. So the reality of it is, you know, there's no free lunch with a deficit. The government wants those accounts to be cleaned out sooner rather than later. And I see that happening probably within the next three to five years. Yeah, it's a really good question there, Arnold. And it's a detailed question, right, Charles? I mean, that's not one that you probably have people coming into the office with very much, that level of detail bringing up a specific product or strategy like a stretch IRA, right? No, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, in the real world, what I find is that people that inherit money from, you know, uh, either parents or relatives, they don't have the respect for the money that the parents or relatives have because they're the ones that earned it. And a lot of times, like somebody inherits a couple hundred thousand dollars, it's hello, Disney World or, you know, hey, Lexus, <laughs> uh, that type thing. So hello, Disney you know, World eight times, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eight times of that kind of money. But, you know, the reality of it is, the gov- you know, the takeaway is the government has an IOU on the IRAs and the retirement plans, and they're not going to wait forever to get their money. And they're going to change the rules. It's called higher taxes, and they want that money in circulation sooner rather than later. Really good points, Charles. And I think you need to strap on your helmet for this next question from Michelle, okay? Okay. (laughs) I'm ready. This will be a good one. Michelle says, I'm in love. I've been proposed to, but I haven't said yes yet. This would be a second marriage for both of us. Everything is great except for one issue. My potential husband has over $100,000 in debt. It's a mix of different things like a car loan, credit cards, school debt from a child in a previous marriage, etc. Is it unwise to marry under these circumstances? How do you advise clients in a similar situation? Well, if she's really in love, if Michelle's really in love, I'd say, hey, marry the guy. And it's not unwise to marry him. But what I would suggest is that prior to getting married, they both list their assets and liabilities. And, you know, if they're, I don't know if like Michelle had kids from a previous marriage or whatever, but generally speaking, people that accumulate assets and liabilities before a marriage, you know, before their second marriage, I should say, they should, you know, be accountable for, hey, this is my assets. These are my liabilities. And if there's an agreement that, look, we're going to get married and from this day forward, you know, we're going to have joint accounts with the monies that we earn together, but we're going to have separate accounts for the monies that basically we accumulated prior to the second marriage. I think that's probably a good solution. You'll still be able to get married and he'll still be liable for his $100,000 in debt. And hopefully there'll be a good marriage and they can accumulate, you know, greater assets together and, you know, live a happy life. Yeah, it's another great point there, Charles. And Michelle, just be careful when you, uh, you know, enter into that kind of equation. But if you're in love, find a way to make it worth it. But, you know, love isn't the only thing, as we know from marriages in the past, that carries you through, right? There's other elements to a marriage. And, uh, boy, money is a big issue in a lot of marriages, right? And so this, this you're already kind of starting off your relationship and your marriage with stress, and so yeah, you got to have a plan. Yeah, for I, would, I, I would say, Walter, you should have full disclosure going into the marriage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you already have gotten some of that disclosure 
Michelle, you know that there's that amount that exists. So you've gotten that deep into it, of course. And the other thing, it sounds like you've you know been willing to communicate about it. So are you willing to put a plan in place to address those issues too? You know, is the behavior of accumulating that debt going to change? I know that would be another important part of the convo too. So really good uh, question on today's show there. All right, last one. Uh, I want to squeeze this one in here, Charles. It comes to us from Vera. Vera says, it seems like we're doing, uh, we're going to head into a down market soon. What strategies do you think are best for handling a down market for someone in their 50s and 60s versus somebody in their 30s? I'm looking for advice for me and also for my son, who is obviously younger. So I was always trained, Walter, that the downs are temporary and the ups are permanent. So here's the thing. If you're a young kid, 30 years old, I mean, let's look at history. There's been 13, 13 bear markets since World War II. Now, what is a bear market? A bear market is a decline of at least 20%, you know, in the value of the stock. The average bear market over the last 13 bear markets has been north of 30%. So if someone has an account worth a million dollars, they get to see their account go down by $300,000, you know, and obviously no matter what age you're at, that's going to give you a little bit of stress. But again, the downs are temporary, the ups are permanent. If someone's like 30 years old, I would pray, I would pray for down markets because he or she is a buyer. If I'm somebody in my 50s or 60s, I'm not going to let that worry me because I know that the volatility is the reason why you get that premium return. Let's look at three basic asset classes. Number one would be cash. What are people getting in cash today? Let's say 1%. The second asset class would be fixed income. What are people generally getting in fixed income today? I would say 3%. What are people generally getting in stocks today after fees? I would say 6%. So when you do the math, you're going to make twice the amount of money in stocks as you do in fixed income. But in order to get that premium return, you're going to have to put up with volatility. So that's why I love doing these bucket plans because bucket plans put assets in different categories according to when they're going to be needed. And if I don't need anything for three to five to seven to 10 years, I'm not going to worry about the volatility, whether I'm 30 years old, 50 years old, or 60 years old. Lots of things to consider there, Vera. Hopefully that's some helpful financial information for you as well. I would say the other part of this question that jumps out to me, Charles, is that, you know, Vera's got a crystal ball, right? (laughs) It, It seems like we're going to be in a down market soon. Yeah, well, here's the thing with the crystal ball. You know, you got to be right twice. You got to be right on when to get out and you got to be right on when to get back in. And nobody rings the bell twice. Mm. Nobody. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Vera, thank you for the question. Thank you to all of our questions on today's program. Hopefully, one of these questions, we cover a lot of ground, uh, identifies kind of with your situation. If you have a question that you'd like to ask Charles, we don't have to feature it on the show, by the way. You can just talk directly to Charles about your situation if you prefer that way. Don't want you to think that you've got to put it out there for everybody. So if you want to just talk to Charles about something that's on your mind, throw a question out there to him, talk a little bit about retirement planning, maybe come in for a review of your plan if you know, it rises to that level, you can do that. It's a complimentary call to have a conversation with Charles. 610-388-7705 is the number to dial. That's 610-388-7705. You can also find Charles online at cpweldygroup.com. We'll put a link to that address in the description of today's show. cpweldygroup.com. Look for the contact information there on the page as well. Lots of easy ways to get in touch. Charles, thanks for answering all these great questions on today's show, and we'll talk to you again next time. 
Thank you, Walter. Have a great day. You do as well. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.